story is told of a man who was a shoe salesman, and uh, he had always wanted to be a missionary or an evangelist, but he was a shoe salesman. But everybody that came in his store, he would tell them about his love for Jesus. One day, a friend of his, out of concern for this salesman who was working primarily on commission, said to him, you know, you need to be careful about telling everybody about Jesus because you're a shoe salesman and you could offend people. And the salesman looked at him with a smile and he said simply, look, I just pay expenses by selling shoes. My purpose in life is to exemplify Christ to everyone I meet. It is important for us to understand as believers that we are called to be lights in this world. Whether you're a student or a salesman, a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, a plumber, an electrician, a retiree, whether you're blue collar, white collar, or no collar, it is important that we understand that we have been left on this earth for a purpose. That purpose is to let people know the light and the love of Jesus Christ that is in our life. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talked about a city on a hill. In Matthew 5, verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All of us know the purpose of a lighthouse. We don't use lighthouses as much as we used to, but a lighthouse is there to be a beacon. It is there to be a signal, to be a sign that there is a shore, that there are rocks, that there are places where a ship could run aground. It is to guide people into a safe harbor. The church is in many ways a lighthouse. It is a place where people can find a safe harbor, where people can find hope and peace and grace and hear good news. In the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of all the, the trials and the adversities of life, God has called us as his people to be lights in a dark and stormy world. The Word of God is filled with references to light. Genesis 1 and verse 3, God said, let there be light, the first thing that he created in this world. The light was used as a symbol of the blessings of God. When you read your Old Testament and you see references to light, it was a symbol of the blessings of Yahweh, of the blessings of God on his people. The pillar of cloud and fire was a light that led the way for the people of Israel through the wilderness. And of course, we know at this time of the year that it was a light in the sky, a star in the sky that led the wise men to Jesus. I want to ask you to turn to John chapter 8. 
And I want you to see three things that Jesus said about himself being the light of the world will be in John 8, John 9, and John 12. Jesus called himself the light, but then he told us to be the light. John chapter 8 and verse 12. John 8 and verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9 and verse 5. John 9 and verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus didn't say he was one of many lights. He said he was the light I am the light of the world, John chapter 12 and verse 35. John 12 and verse 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to those who are listening. And so Jesus said to them, verse 35, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. God has called us to be children of light. Now, the scripture talks also about light as a characteristic of a believer. Let me just give you the references. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light... As he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Philippians 2.14, Paul writes, saying, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. (laughs) That would send revival to the stores with last-minute shoppers. Just imagine doing all things without grumbling and disputing. I I saw it on Twitter last night, people stuck in traffic. They're the ones that chose to get on the interstate. You know, they're the ones all uptight and upset. It's a parking lot out here, and, you know, there's going to be some cleanups on aisle four all day tomorrow from people. And you know what? People are going to grumble and complain. And then as they walk out, they're going to say, Merry Christmas, <laughs> you knucklehead. <laughs> Paul says, do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Romans thirteen twelve. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Now, we are to be a light 
in the midst of darkness. You don't have to look any further than the last week or so to understand we live in a very dark and depraved world. And we're being sold a bill of goods. We're being sold a bill of goods that entertainment is found in vampires. And entertainment is found in buying your pre-teenager call of duty so they can learn how to shoot. We're buying our kids violent games and expecting them to be calm at the table. We are making bad decisions in our culture, in our society, with our children. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that today, today, 35 children will be aborted in Connecticut today. More than were killed last Friday. And yet no news media will report that. No outlet will decry the death of 35 innocent children that will never have a Christmas, that will never have a present under a tree, that will never hear a song about the joy of Jesus because someone took their life and they didn't get a vote. We live in a dark world. And it is imperative that we as the body of Christ be salt and light. We can't just stand by and complain about all of this happening. We can't sell out to the system. We can't sell out to the culture. We must speak up. Now, you will hear political pundits say that the day of arguing and talking about ethical and moral issues is over. The only thing we have to worry about is the fiscal cliff and entitlement programs. Can I tell you something? If we drive off the moral and ethical cliff, it won't matter what other cliff we drive off of. We have to stand up. We cannot be those who are worn down over time to just say, it's just going to be this way. It's just going to be like this. We can't change anything. Light always dispels darkness. But when we allow darkness to go unconfronted, we cave into the culture. So I want to give you, with the acrostic of the word light, I want to give you some principles today on how to salvage this season, and not just this season, but how to salvage our society. The first one is the letter L, and obviously stands for love. Love. The greatest commandment is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, I can't love my neighbor like I'm supposed to unless I love God first. And so love is a criteria. 16 times in the New Testament, it tells us to love our neighbor. Now, sometimes for some of you, that's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me. I mean, let's just face it. Sometimes it's hard to love your neighbor. Don't look at me like you're all going over there giving them $50 bills for Christmas. Sometimes it's hard to love your neighbor, right? But 16 times it tells us that we are to speak truth to them, that we're to love them, that we're not to speak unkindly about them. 
You see, when I love God, I will love people the way God loves people. And the first thing we have to do to change our society is get over this idea that love is some kind of syrupy feeling, some kind of gooey feeling that gives us chill bumps, that, it, that it's some kind of commercial or sentimental Christmas movie. And remember that love is an act of our will. We choose to love. We choose to love the unlovely. We choose to love the unlikable people. We make a choice to love. One of the great illustrations of that is the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, where a man who had no skin in the game went to the side of the road and picked up a man who was hurting and took him to an inn and paid for his needs to be met. First is love. Secondly, imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. Third John verse 11 Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. We are to imitate Christ. How do we do that? Well, we just grit our teeth and just say, I'm going to act like Jesus if it kills me. It's not the way it works. It's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that equips us and enables us to imitate Christ, to follow Christ, to mimic him, to be his disciple. It is not in trying harder or wanting to do better because you can want to do better, but there's no power to do it apart from the Holy Spirit of God. I don't want to imitate Christ on my own. I just want to be self-centered. I want it to be all about me. I want everything to focus on me. That's that's my flesh. And that's what Christmas has become for a lot of people. Here's my list. Here's what I want. You don't give it to me, I'll pout. Well, you've been naughty enough this year, you probably shouldn't get anything anyway. You don't imitate Christ by trying harder. You imitate Christ by letting Christ flow through you. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, said, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Imitating Christ is not just a t-shirt. Okay, you ever seen anybody with a Christian t-shirt on and they act in such a way that you think... Really wish they'd take that off. You ever see anybody with a bumper sticker on their car that says, honk if you love Jesus, and you do, and they turn around and yell at you? (laughs) Just just doing what you told me to do. You see, it's it's not a bumper sticker Christianity. It is a lifestyle. We choose to act and respond like Christ. We imitate Christ. Thirdly is G, give of yourself. Give of yourself. Now, most of the time when we talk about giving, we think of finances, and that is certainly a part of it. But it is also giving of your talent and of your time, and most of all of yourself. The Macedonians, they first gave themselves. That's what Paul says in the book of Corinthians. In a world of get and grab, give of yourself. Now, 
if you're paying attention, I just made some changes in my retirement fund. What's left of it? Uh, I just made some changes in mine uh, this week because of what it looks like will happen and things. But, you know, the greatest investment I made this week was not in my retirement fund. It was in a check I wrote to this church. That's the greatest investment I made this week. Because I laid up this week some treasures in heaven that Democrats and Republicans and the IRS can't take away. I laid up something that cannot be stolen from me, that always bears dividends, that always pays off, that always gives back more than I ever give. When I give to the kingdom, when I give to missions, when I give to meet the need, when I give to somebody else, when I put money in somebody's hand, when I, when I write a check to some, when I'm doing that and I'm not thinking about myself, but I'm thinking about how can I give to others, I am most like Jesus who gave himself. And so the first thing I need to give is myself. But then it follows with our substance and our time and our talent. And Luke chapter 6, verse 38 is a verse you're familiar with. Given it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you trace back this passage in Luke, you find that they had left everything to follow him in Luke 5. And now they're asking, you know, Lord, I've, I've given up everything for you. What am I going to get in return? If you paid close attention to the video about Lottie Moon and what she gave up to go to China and to serve in missions. And when you read the story of missionaries who have given up the comfort of home to go and serve. We have people in this church that have done that. In January, uh, our daughter Haley will leave and go to South Africa for at least six months, maybe a year, to work with her international mission board. She'll travel all over sub-Sahara Africa. Can I tell you something? Traveling over sub-Sahara Africa is not a picnic. It's not a picnic. Anna Sanders will leave here in January, and she'll go to Mexico, and she'll teach and work in English and Spanish in Mexico. Mexico's not, it's not Acapulco anymore, I can tell you that. These are two young ladies out of our church that are going outside their comfort zone to obey God's call on their life. In, in January, Timothy Burney will leave, and he will begin to do his preparation for going and living in Germany by himself as a missionary out of this church to reach an unreached people group, the Dutch, in Germany. Jesus said, you give and it will be given unto you, good measure pressed down, running over. You see, it's, it's one thing to talk about giving. It's another thing to do it. It's a one thing when your kids are born to say, Lord, these are yours. We are just stewards of these lives, and you've entrusted them to us for us to raise. It's another for one of them to come and say, God's called me to live in Africa, 17-hour plane flight away. 
and to be able to rejoice in that and to say, that's exactly what we raised our kids to do, was to find the will of God and follow it with a passion. Let me ask you something. While you're giving gifts this year, have you given your kids to the Lord? Have you told the Lord whatever with me or with them you need to do to glorify your name? Have you given your kids to the Lord? Have you laid them on the altar? Because all the stuff you give them is going to break. But if you've invested in them to invest in others, you will reap dividends beyond your ability to comprehend when you invest in them. Now, not every kid's going to go overseas and be a missionary, but every kid ought to be raised in this church to be a witness Amen. of what Christ can do in a life. If you live to get, you're going to lose. If you live to gain Christ, you're going to win. Amen. Now, here's a mistake even Christians make. We go out and buy way more stuff than we need to buy. And we spend more money than we need to spend this time of the year. And we give a lot of stuff to where you can't even remember two things you got last year. And we get all this stuff and we get in debt. And then when it comes time to give to God, to give to missions, to give to meet the need, we, we try to argue with God and say, well, Lord, you know how tight my finances are. And if you're listening carefully, the Lord's going to say, what about all that junk you bought that you didn't need and they didn't need? You see, don't push off on God with what you can't do for him if in reality you've not given yourself to God. If in reality you've not laid your checkbook before God and said, God, it's yours. What do you want to do with it? How do you want to use it? How do you want me to spend? How do you want me to invest? What do you want me to give? You give of yourself. H is for hope. H is for hope. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Psalm 71, 5, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. By you I have been sustained from birth. You are who, he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 24, 14, know that wisdom is thus for your soul. And if you find it, then there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Matthew 12, 21, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Romans 8, 24, in hope we have been saved. Ephesians 2, 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, 
excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers in the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. H is for hope. Every day, you and I meet people that have no hope. Some of them have lost hope. They used to have it, but life has sucked all hope out of them. Issues, problems, crisis have taken their hope away from them. We've heard a lot of talk in recent years about how our children don't believe they will live in a better world, and we don't believe our children will live in a better world than we live in, that that maybe America has hit its peak and it's on the decline. I don't know if that's true or not, but our hope should never be in our circumstances because they can change so easily. One storm, one flood, one tornado, one call, one trip to the emergency room, one crisis could put any of us in a situation where our hope could be shattered. If we want to change the culture, we need to offer hope. This world is looking for hope, something to hope in, something to believe in. Some people are hoping that the Falcons finally win a playoff game. Some of you are hoping that your school wins its bowl game. But the reality is, over time, that won't matter. That won't change anything. It'll be a fleeting moment of joy and happiness, and then it'll be back to, is there any hope? There are people in this room right now that you're wondering why you even get out of bed any day because you've lost hope. There are people all over this community that Christmas is not a time of joy for them because they've lost hope. Their dreams have been shattered. Their wills have been broken. Their aspirations have been denied. And you and I have the opportunity to offer hope. The hope is not in a handout. The hope is in Christ. Because he gives hope where we can't. He props up. He builds up. He restores where people are broken down and beaten up and wounded and crushed. You know anybody that needs hope today? Maybe a phone call, maybe a visit. There'll be people in nursing homes in this community that will not get a visit from a family member or a friend during the week of Christmas. In fact, they may not even be aware that it is the week of Christmas. But who will give them hope? There are people in this room that will spend their first Christmas without a loved one. Will we stop for a moment, pat them on the back, give them a hug, love them, call them, offer some good cheer, maybe just a word of encouragement that they need to get through another day. T is for testimony. Testimony. Do you have one?
do you share it? 1 Peter 3.15 says, If you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. T is for testimony. Do you have a testimony of a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ? Who have you shared it with? Who have you told the good news? Who have you stopped and just offered a witness in the name of Jesus? You don't have to know all the scriptures. You don't have to know three or four or five or six plans of sharing your faith. You really just need to know one thing. Let me tell you how I was lost and how Christ saved me and the difference that it made in my life when Christ came into my life. That's your testimony. By the way, nobody else has your testimony. Nobody else has your background. Nobody else has your DNA. Nobody else has your fingerprints. And nobody else has your testimony. That's yours for you to share, for you to give. For you to offer to somebody. And if you don't have a testimony today, I would encourage you that you can get one. You can get one by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. By realizing that Christ is not a baby in a nativity scene that we bring out once a year. That Christ is a living, risen Lord. Who came to this earth through a virgin. Who lived a sinless life who gave his life to save you and to save me from our sin. And in giving his life, he offered himself willingly because we could not pay the price for our sin. You can't pay the price. You can't be good enough. You can't be baptized enough. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't join enough churches. You can't be moral enough to be saved. The scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. It says that our righteousness is like filthy rags in his sight. In other words, I can't please God by being a good person. The only way I can please God is by admitting that I am a bankrupt person that needs him to come in and save me and fill me and change my life from the inside. Have you ever done that? In a moment, we're going to give you a chance to do that. And if you've not done it, I encourage you today to make that decision. But if you have done it, I would encourage you to tell somebody about it. Find someone that's really worn down and beaten up at a cash register tomorrow and tell them good news. Find somebody that looks like they're on their last nerve and tell them good news. Give them a testimony about the hope that is within you. Peter says, if you're asked, tell them. But I would add to that, even if they don't ask, tell them. Because if it's good news, you don't keep good news quiet. I have never, ever, ever met a grandparent that didn't want to talk about their grandkids. Not one. And if you stop long enough, the pictures come out. And then they start doing their phone. You know, now used to, they just had one little picture, you know, this little flap on the inside of their wallet. Now they got 7,000 pictures on their phone. 
This is them before they ate the cake. This is them after they ate the cake. This is me standing by them with the cake still on their face. And you're going, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And you're, why? Because they're proud of that baby. Shouldn't we be proud of the one who came to give his life for us? And tell people, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed.